Okay. Yeah. Hi. So okay. we are live now. Hello, everyone. Uh, online. Um, we have a third speaker. She's having difficulties to enter the call, so she'll be joining us whenever she she's able to solve her technical problems. Um, but in the meantime, let me introduce you to uh, why we're here and who these amazing people are who are going to be speaking to us today. So this is part of a research I am conducting on youth-led advocacy processes, which is a project that I'm doing here at NED as a Hertford Youth Fellow. Um, and Dan here, let me read you some of his bio. It says, he's a deputy editor and digital policy specialist at the Center for International Media Systems here at the National Endowment for Democracy. His policy portfolio includes internet policy, internet governance, and the implications of new digital technologies on media systems world. participation, which has a lot to do with what we're going to be discussing here today. And then from London, we have Nicolás, who is Chilean, but studying there and teaching there as a lecturer. Um, he's a strategic and service designer focused on the design and development of public service innovation processes. He's lecturer in service design at the Royal College of Art, where he's currently completing, completing his PhD and leading a design for policy platform. Uh, he's worked as an independent strategic design consultant for the Observatory of Public Sector Innovation at the OECD and for the Chilean, Chilean government lab uh, that was established there a couple of years ago. I also know that he was involved back in 2011 um, in, some, in some communicational strategies and platforms for the student movement, which is one of the, one of the case studies that I'm doing here and doing my fellowship. So thank you both for being here. We hope Cynthia from Nigeria can join us if she solves her technical problems. If not, well, we'll find another way to share her views with you, everyone who's watching. Thank you so much. So to begin, I would like to address this question to Nico, Nicolás. Um, so, and then, of course, I want to hear what Dan has to say about this. So. What would you say is innovative about 21st century youth-led advocacy? Um, I want to understand, in your views, um, how are young people breaking away from the past? Uh, and if you see this breaking away more in their strategies, how they're doing this in their advocacy, or in their demands, or maybe both. So if you can share your views on that. OK. So well, hello, and thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Uh, in this interesting uh, uh, talk, uh, to, to be I mean, to be clear, I'm, I'm not an expert on on advocacy exactly, but I do try to be an expert or try to, to, to explore and research uh, basically what a, what is the context of uh, how we should be thinking and designing new services. I think we lost you there for a second. Yeah. Context. Can you hear me? Nico, I think you're back now. So yes. You were saying? Okay, so I was saying, um, okay, well, basically my expertise is okay. not on advocacy in particular, but mm -hmm. it's on, on the design of new digital services and platforms, basically. We can't really understand you now. No? Oh. No? Oh, there you go. Well, I think, I think that is, it might be working now. I'm trying to close things. Close things. If that's needed. 
Um, you can turn off your camera too. That's okay. I mean, yes. we'd like to see your face, but Asking. taking up too much of the internet. There it is. Okay. There. So there it is. Yeah, we can hear you now. Wonderful. Okay. So what I was saying is that I'm not an expert on exactly uh, on advocacy, but really on 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 what are the principles that we should be taking into consideration for the design of new services, particularly in the digital context. So I think the, the way to answer this question is that uh, I think the key thing for me on how you approach politics, I would say, in the 21st century, considering the, the context in which we live in, is that I really feel that Today, digital is something that is part of kind of the nature of the way we relate with each other and with the world and with the problem. So I think that could unfold uh, really how we understand our context in which we live in, which we live understanding different with a different perspective the problems and the political problems we are confronted with. Then that especially will lead us. A new generation a new of generation. because our understanding of the contents which we live is very different, but also will impact um, our understanding on what are the things we are able to do. To give a very concrete example, I think what we've been looking at uh, worldwide around the new kind of social movements is that most of these new social movements that becomes really huge campaigns is because um, two elements, I would say. The first is that the widespread of access to information, it's really huge. So now we have a lot of information of things that before we didn't have. Think I'm thinking about topics such as the crisis of the church, of what is happening uh, around the Me Too movement, or in particular in Chile, what is happening with the new feminist movement. So we have access to very key information that before we didn't have access to. And it's not that, that really new things that are happening. I mean, uh, uh, the abuse in the church and um, the the crisis. I mean, sorry, no. The, so the I would say the abuse on women worldwide is something that is not new. But I think now what is happening is that the, in the first hand we have access to these new information. So people um, or the global media uh, immediately reacts on really concrete things. And then the white the 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 ability of multiplication that. Uh, certain kind of, um, how would you say that, uh, certain kind of like key issues that are concern us, people start immediately um, showing their support and this, the way, because of social media, the widespread of, this, uh, of these key issues become immediately huge demands. So I think uh, for me, it's not the topics that are new, but I think the way by which we connect them, it's fairly new. And on top of that, to the second part of your question, in terms of strategies, I think the strategies are also using the same channels uh, and the same way, the same kind of relationships in which we relate, uh, particularly with these demands. That's what I would say. I mean, and I don't know if that's particularly about the youth, but it's something that we could see in everyday uh, politics. Okay, well, thank you, Nicolas. Um, so, Dan here now. Um, what would yeah. you like to say? About well, thank you. First of all, this call, thank you, Margarita. And it's uh, great to be on this call with you, too, Nicolas. We had some hearing what you're saying, but I think we got the overall uh, message here. 
And I think it's a really interesting question that you're putting forward to us about, you know, there's two components here, strategies and um, what people are demanding. And I think from my perspective, um, and, you know, as you mentioned, uh, I think I'm talking a lot about my experience in Brazil with the Brazilian internet uh, rights movement and the way that discussions and so what I think I see here is that there's I don't think that the demands are actually super new I mean I think they have new manifestations in terms of especially if you're thinking about digital rights and issues of net neutrality and surveillance right these are issues that we haven't dealt with in the past because it's a new technology but the overall values that people are values. Um, the strategies, I think we are seeing people using uh, different strategies. And I think that, um, and I think that's in part because youth uh, as, as a demographic is much more inclined to lean on social networks. And this is this has existed in the offline world as well as the online world, but especially with social media platforms and social networking uh, that the internet's allowed globally, which I think is something that um, you were alluding to as well, Nicholas. That's something that can um, be I think that that strategy um, is where we're seeing more in terms of building dynamic coalitions that are able to respond, that are able to activate other uh, sectors of society. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we're, we're, right now we're at a time when a lot of these, um, the open internet, the ability to connect uh, is kind of under threat. And it's it's not just the internet, but we're at a period in time when I think there's increasing effort to kind of uh, build more walls, uh, make it harder for people to, to connect. And I think that that is going to be some of these movements. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah, well, thank you. thanks, Dan. Um, so, Nico, if you can hear us OK. Um, yeah, I think I think it just uh, yeah, I perhaps lost lost a key point. This, if, if you could repeat this, this point around the dynamic coalitions, the dynamic coalitions, the current geopolitical dynamics. Yeah, I think that what we're seeing right now uh, around the world is a growing, uh, and I'm thinking about situations in Europe and in North America, um, even East Asia. We're seeing a, a growing tendency to um, especially on the online space of building up walls uh, in terms of kind of a fracturing of an, an open and global internet. Um, lots of issues of like uh, data sovereignty that are actually kind of used more for cyber surveillance. Um, and so I think, uh, and also the, the growing clout of platforms. So these are very different tendencies than what we saw in the early in the 1980s and the 1990s when these kind of open networks were really facilitating 
connection of people on open platforms. So I, that's kind of the dynamic that I'm referring to. So Nico. Yes. Uh, can, yes. Can I comment on that? <laughs> yes, of course, move forward. I'm yeah. waiting for yeah, no, so, no, no, I think I think I think that's and really maybe really if you could put headphones on. I, I think there's a bit of an echo. I am using my headphones. I, I also hear my voice repeated. I don't know why. Uh, there, can you hear me? Yes? Okay. No, so what I was um, what I was saying is that what I was thinking basically is I totally agree that uh, one of the key elements of this uh, of this new political dynamic basically is this um, emerging challenge and political problem that it's about regulating the internet, uh, and I think uh, what is going on in my view it's uh, the, uh, for me it's very interesting to look at this problem as uh, as we saw cities. I would say in the 20th century, uh, if we understand that the digital world is kind of like uh, actually it's like it's under a process of urbanization in a way, uh, meaning that uh, this it emerged as a really kind of new open network and then has become very global. And today the whole economy basically is under these new digital roads, I would say. Uh, what had happened in this last 20 years, because no one really understood what was going on, is that we have this whole digital city privatized. So um, what is going, what, what I feel that is one of the key dangers, particularly on the new generations that always, that they were born in this new, in this privatized digital world, I would say, is that any public or state intervention on this free uh, under underscore uh, free world dominated by Google and Facebook it it's being perceived as uh, censorship is being perceived as uh, an intervention trying to build um, or build a wall or build something kind of like uh, that is against freedom I would say and I think the key paradox here is that when we look at what happened with the Cambridge Analytica scandal and when we see this very interesting picture of the Congress, the US Congress with this just one person at the center, so one person at the center who is responsible of the whole, I would say, 99% of the users of the internet in the world. Um, for me, it's really, really interesting on how we could start understanding what is at stake here. So I think uh, my, my one of my key concerns around this uh, whole debate around the internet is that somehow, uh, today, the action of the public, uh, represented by states, is perceived as something that is bad. Um, because we still believe, or there's a belief, that, uh, that the, internet is, uh, the internet is free. And, all of, and for me, one of the key elements of that is that when we talk about digital platforms and, and, and advocacy and all of this, all of those are happening in private platforms. Uh, and, and all of that data, uh, is basically owned by these private companies. Uh, what happened in Chile, I remember during the news, is that uh, the past government tried to introduce a law, basically, by or a decree that then it didn't happen, that they call it the spy decree, I remember. Uh, what was because they, the state wanted to have access uh, to the data that was stored in these platforms. And all the debate was about why the state 
has to be has the right to have those uh, the access of the data but no one was discussing why facebook have the right to own our own our own data that that is is simply is not the topic no one questioned that uh, before before cambridge analytica uh, scandals but uh, yeah so i think that's that's a complexity i think on 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 all of those uh, dynamics it would be really interesting to see the aftermath of the arab of the arab spring actually for example uh, almost seven years after that all all emerging facebook uh, it would be really interesting to know uh, what was at stake there that's well yeah i guess we might <laughs> uh, and it would be certainly very interesting um it does look like the internet it feels like a free space uh, but it's not as easy as that is it um Okay, so actually that leads me really well into my next question, um, which is, in, like, in your experience, um, how do you think, like, how do the logics of the digital era uh, permeate the worldview of our generation, my generation, we were born with the internet? And do you think the changes, the way that, this changes the way that we young people relate to power or to politics? in any sense um and maybe dan you can begin with this one um yeah i know this is a really good question you know one of the first things that uh comes to mind when you ask this is also um because i think there is a lot of talk about kind of digital natives people who have come of age in a in a time of social media i think that there is at least a sense of a more horizontality in terms of social relationships you know uh, i think Younger people are um, have had experiences where they've tweeted at you know some large brand or maybe some influencer, star, celebrity, and they you might even get a response, right? And so that's a very different experience um, uh, than than the era of like traditional media, radio, television. You know, there wasn't a the fact that you could somehow catch the Beatles' attention somehow, you know, you actually had to go there physically and scream in front of their hotel room in order to like get them. But, you know, sometimes you might be able to get Justin Bieber, right? So I think these types of like everyday uh, encounters might give people, a, a, some people a better sense of, the, of their ability. Now, that being said, I think that we also need to remember that there is probably a social class dynamic involved in this and that oftentimes when people are talking about um, the digital natives, we're really thinking of a specific, uh, you know, middle class, upper middle class group that is very empowered on these private networks. And there are, you know, many people who are not um, able to do that also who uh, come from or in situations when that type of you know, active agency and putting yourself out there might not exist. Um, so, I, I mean, I think we need to be cognizant of that and not lump all uh, youth individuals, digital natives into the same uh, category. I think what, what people's experience online is very different, very influenced by issues of race, gender, social class. Um, that would be my first comment. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I'm actually, yeah. before, before you go, Nico, let me just mention something. Um, because it, it, this happened to me. I was looking at doing research on the Chilean student movement, and there's this one episode when um, the president of the Federation of the University of Chile, Camila Vallejo, she tweeted, like, okay, tonight 
we're all banging on our, our pots and pans because we want to say that we're angry because th there have been really extreme um, repression against the students that day on behalf of the police on the streets. And and it's been, it's been told like all of Chile just went out with their pots and pans and it's really like this really romantic picture. And I was talking to someone and he was like, well, I lived in a in a neighborhood that's not like where you all you guys at university lived and in my neighborhood no one was banging on the pants mm -hmm. so and that does give you a sense like um usually things that happen online tend to be seen as they're happening everywhere because you don't really know where they're happening right mm -hmm. um but then when you take that to the offline reality you can see that it does have those those gaps um yeah nico please tell us you yeah, know i think uh, i totally uh, agree what you were saying and i would add um kind of perhaps a more a more conceptual approach that i was reading uh, if you're interested this um professor helen magritz that uh, has a very interesting uh, book around uh, the the politics in the age of turbulence basically he, he does about how the whole he's from the oxford institute of internet i, I would really recommend uh, her her work and um one of the key issues that that, that i understood uh, getting to, to know his argument is that it seems that this turbulence of politics that we're living is really influenced by uh, the impact that the internet and the digital has had on our understanding of power and politics and that it seems to be that uh, since we have and this is really clear um, of what you mentioned before around the possibility that we have on, on direct interactions and and what is basically how our the influence of our understanding is um, is really based and or built upon uh, what we see in our timelines. Um, so what it, we could argue or we could claim perhaps that uh, our perception of the of the digital world basically is the expansion of our own private world. So the uh, the the politics of these of the algorithms basically that are the ones that are behind uh, the way by which our timelines are built um is really based on our own interest and our own kind of like intranet behavior in a way so we could argue that everything that is under our perception is kind of a reflection of our own understandings and our own kind of like profiling in a way so we only see what we agree and there's a lot of discussion around this after the election in the states in this kind of bubbles but I think these bubbles uh, apply to a different elements uh, of our own online interaction. And I think if we understand that 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 real complex, I think to answer your question, how 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 has changed the worldview of these digital natives is that the worldview is really influenced by the expansion that, that that digital expansion of the individual. So I think as as you were mentioning before. Uh, in a, and this is the same issue for me uh, that is at the core of the debate of um, uh, artificial intelligence in, in government is that these algorithms are replicating the biases of the real world. So if you live in a world, uh, I mean, the, the class bias, um, the, the, the race bias, uh, the, the, the different kind of each one of us are living in a, in a very particular world, the world we see as public is really an expansion of this of our own. That's what I would say. I think it's a key element. Great. This is. This, I want to pick up on uh, on something. One, I think this is really interesting. What you're talking about in terms of algorithms, the filter bubbles that we see on social media, these private um, 
how these our own perceptions and these private networks are shaping what we then see in the future. This is something that at my organization where we work on media development, this is something we're really concerned about because it's really shifting um, what the public sphere or what we understand to be the public sphere is. And it, um, But I also wanna um, kind of, I think, as you were speaking, I was thinking of an example maybe that we could talk about in terms of a youth movement. And that was uh, in terms of shaping what is within the realm of possible for, for this upcoming generation. And that is the, um, you know, the Parkland shooting in response to that incident. Uh, you know, these, these uh, young people had the audacity and the kind of courage to say, we want to have a march on the mall. We want to organize a really large national protest. And they, they actually, it. and they made it. And they were really, uh, these different, um, these new media in order to achieve that goal. And I kind of wonder, um, you know, we obviously have seen student movements in the past. Um, you know, the civil rights movement here in the States was uh, led to an extent, you know, by uh, college age students um, who really drive the discussion. And so you have the March on Washington and Martin Luther King. Uh, so it definitely is, is possible, but it's a much longer process. Whereas these, these young students were able to marshal the kind of um, this media space in order to achieve uh, that outcome. Now, whether or not, you know, we're still kind of going to see how, whether they're able to actually change the debate and the policies on gun ownership and gun regulation in the U.S. But I do think it's an interesting example of, uh, you know, just the fact that these students kind of came up with the idea and thought that, that they would be able to achieve this is interesting in itself. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. That is very interesting. Um, and I want to go now to shift the conversation just a little bit. Unless, Nicolás, you have something you want to add to that? No, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, agree. I mean, I mean they, what I was uh, reflecting is that the, the key challenge, going back to the to the topic of this conversation, basically, is that how might we create strategies that can help us kind of overpass or or or, or break that bubble in order to to actually make uh, make make a difference, and perhaps that's uh, that's really uh, related on on how we could start thinking that politics is not just something that has to happen in this digital world. There's other spaces uh, and those spaces, even though that uh, digital today is kind of the default, uh, um, it's not uh, the only space. Hi, we just got Cynthia yeah, into yeah. the conversation. Welcome. Oh, oh. Oh, so, sorry to hi. <laughs> So, Hi, so sorry. Hi, so sorry. Um, let me just ask Nicolas if he wants to close up the remarks he was making, and then we can introduce our new no, speaker. All right. Okay. Well. Um, well. Thanks, Nico. And welcome, Cynthia. So, Cynthia, uh, she's um, right now in Nigeria. She's one of the founding members of Yaga Africa, an organization that promotes democratic governance, uh, youth political participation, and accountability. She's a lawyer, and she's also project director, um, sorry, one of the leaders of the Not Too Young to Run campaign, uh, one, of, uh, one of the other case studies I'm looking at, apart from 
the Chilean student movement and also the establishment of RICO um, regional office in the Western Balkans. Um, so welcome, Cynthia. So glad to have you here. I'm glad we, you could connect after all. We thought you were going to make it. Um, yeah, thank you. Me, yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's all right. Now we can hear what you have to say. Um, and I actually have a question that you can answer right now because um, you, you've been working on a campaign to, right now, like you're still, still ongoing, the Not Too Young to Run movement is, is almost done. You have almost managed to, to get the age for candidates uh, to be reduced in five years um, in yeah. Nigeria. Yeah. And so you're very active on a campaign today. And with, with that framework, I wanna ask you, um, what would you say is the ideal balance between online and offline work when doing advocacy that aims to change policies because this needs convincing authorities not only the general public and they might not be as present in social media as maybe the general public is like we all are um so maybe your thoughts around that yeah i think yeah, i, I would think share the not too young to run experience and um what we have learned is that when it comes to um, engaging especially lawmakers like we're doing with the not too young to run you'd need to ensure that there is a balance between your engagement online and offline. And that is why one of the things we did was to deploy organizing as the main strategy as against mobilizing. Because when you organize, what you're doing is building resources um, amongst young people that connect with the message and the shared values. Now, the idea for us was to build an organizing structure that has one, a leadership team. And anything about leadership team is identifying people that connect with the main purpose of the movement and that have that bring different assets to bear. So in that case, you're not just having conversations online, but you're having a think tank, which you call a leadership team. And within this leadership team, you have people with specific as um, skills and roles and responsibility. So what we did for Nigeria is a country that has 36 states and um, 774 local governments. At the center, we had the leadership team, which we call the strategy team. And then we built at every state level, state coordinators that were state leaders on the Naughty Young to Run. So what's, when you're having tweet chats or tweet conversations, you have them at the state levels engaging with the state assemblies. Now, what you're doing in that sense is um, you're ensuring that you have online going on, but at the state level, you have those that are engaging with the lawmakers. Now, what this leadership team was doing, things like letter writing, for instance, you have lots of um, young people writing letters, and the leadership team just collates and dis dispatches, delivers the letters at the National Assembly. You also have people that get um, that meets with advocacy units within the law, within the National Assembly. So we had what we call the champions of the not too young to run within the National Assembly, lawmakers that were more youth friendly. Now to get leadership of lawmakers, you need those young lawmakers that are friendly to youth issues. So you meet with them and um, request for a meeting with the leadership. So that is what leadership team is basically doing, meeting with the key um, actors or the lawmakers or the policy makers and say, see this conversation is going on, not young trend is trending on social media. This is what people, young people are demanding on social media. We want you to push for this bill in the house. This is what this bill is about. And then ensuring that your messaging is 
um, is uniform. So at every level, at the state level, the national level, you have one message so that um, you're speaking with one voice. And then you're also designing your message to fit the different policymakers. So one, for Not Too Young to Run, where we look advocating for reduction of age, to have more young people in government, meaning you're not going to be having messages like it's time for young people. We're tired of the older generation. You're not having that kind of message because then you're threatening the policymakers who, would, who you need to make that, take that decision. So your messaging is more like, oh, we need young people for intergenerational dialogue. We need to have the experience of the old, innovation and creativity of the young in government. And um, for all our engagement with the policymakers, our messaging was one, intergenerational dialogue. Democracy is about inclusion. It's not about getting rid of the old. It's about having the, um, the innovation and creativity of the young to work with the experience of the old. So that kind of high level engagement is done by this key leadership team that you, have, that you already know in all our conversations, we've gone through training and organizing, we have an idea what the bill is about, and then um, we know what we want to achieve with that. And then um, you're also pushing out your message and then letting people know that see what is going on on social media. Young people on social media want this bill and you need their votes we need you to pass this bill so that this, what is going on on social media is also, it's more like promoting, um, giving, using the resources you have as that bargaining chip, which was the strength on social media and the input talking about it, about but, also, it. but having, also having, 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 um, having, having the lawmakers appreciate the importance of the movement, of the movement. and also and seeing that they can actually benefit from that. Because for every picture, you want them to take pictures with the placard, for instance. And you say, we're tweeting this. Your constituents will be seeing this. And then they want to actually take pictures with it because they want their constituents to see that. So just um, creating that balance, ensuring that while you have this going on, you have that key leadership team that um, um, is trained and um, has that requisite knowledge on how to engage with the policymakers. Because the thing about advocacy is the moment you become antagonistic, you close the doors um, and you need the doors open for you to make that impact um, that you want to make. But you also don't want to, um, you don't, also don't want to, um, um, to lose the main purpose of the engagement. So you know what you're pushing for, inclusion, for instance, and um, that is all you're, all, that's all you're advocating for. But then you remain focused on your message and you design specific message for different um, target audience. So what is on social media, it's not exactly um, the kind of messaging that you take to the lawmakers because young people, you need to inspire them to be part of it. So your targeting is separate message. But for the lawmakers, you need to let them know they are not, it's not, we are not threatening your position in power. What we're trying to do is to ensure that um, there is a balance in government and that different generations are represented when it comes to decision making, which is the older and the younger generation. Wonderful. Thank you, Cynthia. Um, you actually mentioned something that I was meaning to ask you guys about, um, which is also going back to this idea that social media is just really present in everything we do today, especially when we're trying to advocate for any cause. Um, and it's, it's seen like this wonderful tool. And I think it's not that much questioned um, in what like the risks are uh, when using social media. Um, but it's also, it certainly has great things and we couldn't live without it. But 
I guess uh, it's also hard to live with it. Um, in that sense, I would like to ask you, um, what's the best and the worst of using social media and other technologies for advocacy? Um, because you mentioned how people, young people are taking advantage of the platforms they have. Um, so how are they taking advantage of these tools that we have available for us today? And which are some of the risks that we should be aware of, which is something I, I don't hear that many people talk about when we refer to social media and advocacy. Um, I'd like, well, I'd like to hear all of your views on this. Maybe we can begin with Dan and then we'll move back okay. to you guys. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Um, great. Yeah. Uh, so this, I think this is a really good question because I think you're right there. We still do have, even though we're kind of more cognizant now of the dangers of what can go wrong in these spaces, we've already talked about Cambridge Analytica here in general, still, we, you know, it's this, it, it goes unquestioned, right? Uh, if you're going to do an advocacy campaign, there's going to be at least some social media component. I thought, uh, what we just heard Cynthia talk about was really fascinating because it, what you're saying was really um, trying to work around this filter bubble situation by having both online and offline participation. You know, we were kind of talking about how you can get into this filter bubble situation where you're just talking to the people that already agree with you, that are already on your same page, and really making sure that you have this really strategic plan of engagement outside of that bubble and ensures that these two can come together. In terms of um, the dangers of social media, or not the dangers of social media, but like what can happen that what isn't talked about, you know, I um, surveillance and data is something that we give up in social media, right? Oftentimes, it's um, you know data about ourselves that's used to target ads, but also uh, that that data can be tracked by um, you know governments can. Uh, try to access that information in, in order to surveil um, people in social movements. Sometimes that can be uh, infiltration into these networks online and then capturing those conversations. Sometimes it can be through um, technology, surveillance technology that's bought. You know, I have uh, friends who are, uh, are involved in uh, the recent uh, movement of Central American migrants from I think Guatemala up to the, the U.S. border, and one of the concerns that they had, well, one of the things that people were asking is, can you please check in as if you're here? Because one, this will show that you that there are more people interested in this topic of immigrants' rights, but also because it will make it harder for the government's surveillance because it will confuse mm. them about who's there. So, um, and I think that we've seen similar things in terms of some of the activism around the. Um, the pipeline in North Dakota. Um, and so I think that because you can, because if you're able to get this access, you can see all of these different social networks and particularly in spaces that are, uh, that there's more authoritarian tendencies or where there's more you know, even corporate surveillance is even a, a fear. So I think there are, there are potential dangers to it as well. Certainly, yeah. and we need to be more aware of that. And actually, we in my organization back in Chile, um, we promote advocacy and we train young leaders uh, for advocacy in different Latin American countries. And when we first started out doing that, we were not aware of this as such a. I mean, we were aware, but we didn't really include it at first as a as a content that we should transmit to them. And then we realized, like, what are we doing? That's so dangerous. And then we we added that, and it's like it's such a crucial thing. And even we are like this is what we do back home in Ciudad Inteligente, and we we had to like go through a process to actually understand the real importance of this. And now we're very aware of it, and we're we're trying to help them be safe and everything. Um, 
but yeah, I guess I guess it's just easy to trust uh, social media because it's so it looks like it's such a good idea. Um, okay, so Cynthia or Nico, who would like to comment on what Dan just said, which is very interesting. Okay, Nico, you look like you do. Go ahead. Yep, I, I was just giving way for Cynthia, perhaps. Okay, um, I think yeah, the opportunities with um using social media the opportunities are you are incredible like we can't even begin to imagine because it has opened up the space for more actually young people to participate in the political process and then the part on the risk i think for me i'd rather look at um what do we i agree with the issue of surveillance um surveillance and data and all of, of data and how it can be used um against um um people that are part, part of a particular movement. But I think one of the things that uh, movements struggle with when it comes to using social media is the issue of uh, misinformation or, um, or what people would want to call fake news. You know, and um, for, for me, it's more or less for leaders, that's why for every movement, this should be a leadership team, a strategy team that is always going back, working on assessing, analyzing what is going on on social media. Because the best way to do that is to provide data to counter misinformation in the sense that um, you're not, you, um, because you can use data either ways. And um, for movement, the what's important is using data the best possible way to promote your interest. And um, the best way to all like what we did for Not Young John, for instance, is when you have people putting out messages like, oh, Not Young John is to ensure that children of the political class are in power. It's not for young Nigerian youth, it's for only the children of the rich. And what you're doing is rather providing data, not necessarily making it look like you're attacking a an opposing um, view, but rather providing data to show, oh, in this community, this number of young people want to run. They are not connected to any particular political party or political class. And you're giving data. I think in 2019, it's the percentage of young people that run for elections. If you open up the space, you'd have more people run. So it, I think it's it's more 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 or less one taking ownership of the messages that that you put out, having that team that is always there monitoring what's going on on social media on your particular issue, and ensuring that there's always that um, access to data that counters misinformation. We, there are certain things we can, we don't have major control. We can only minimize or reduce um, the asset issues of surveillance, for instance. See, we can't totally get rid of that. What we can do is to ensure we put, um, we put in um, things in place to minimize its impact on, on, the, on how we use social media. But um, if we focus so much on that, then we would never really achieve a particular aim and objective. So I think what it's key is taking ownership of what is of your message, Ensuring that for every point in time, people can always make reference to these are the leaders of this movement on social media, and that there's always that active, um, in active use of data to counter whatever misinformation or fake news that you'd always have coming in that would become um, that would either um, impact negatively on your movement or on the purpose you're trying to um, to, to achieve. Yeah. In, in, that's really interesting. Nico, please. Okay, if I make one, so no, no, I totally agree. I mean, on top of of the of the, I prefer to to name of them instead of dangers, challenges or risks. And I, I totally agree with the surveillance issue, 
And then I was really interested uh, what Cynthia was saying around uh, how your role campaign was about organizing. And I think how social media is one of the components of a more holistic approach into advocacy and politics. So I think one of the second risks, I, I would name that risk, is that since social media is a tool or a technology, uh, is this, uh, this saying, if you have a hammer, uh, everything looks like a nail, basically. So, so you, you, if you if you, you you think that everything can be solved just by social media campaigns without understanding that holistic component, I think is one of the key challenges. I would add, though, uh, two more. I would say one is I think it's very important for me, um, particularly the, when I was think, uh, saying this at the beginning, not to to see governments as something that are against us. Of course, in these in the states. That's that uh, might look like with the president uh, that you have, but uh, in the case of Chile, for example, um, we've had a real experience, a really clear, interesting uh, government reforms where people who were in the student movement now are members of Congress, and uh, and there I would say there's an optimism in the air in the sense of of moving forward on that kind of political path, uh, and probably these young people young people who, who start as advocates or part of social movements, they can become political leaders and of course confronted uh, with the challenge of, of, of governing. So I think uh, the, the challenge for me is that we need to see that these things are designed by people and they must be governed some way. So I think the way by which social media works today, not necessarily is the way that it should be working in the future. Uh, so we need to think about this. We need to create new legislation. We need to regulate this in a way that uh, serve the purpose, the, our progressive purposes. I would say because if we don't do that, someone else is regulating this. And I think this comes again back again with the idea of of, of the algorithm, uh, who controls the algorithm, um, what what is happening uh, with that, uh, the whole idea of the fake news. Uh, I think it's part of that. It's part of that same problem on how these things are spread. Uh, the use of data as well is part of how these things are spread. Um, and I would say the last I issue I would say that we haven't talked about that is that social media is also a source of data to understand what's going on. Uh, and I think we should be, the risk is that we just use it uh, as a channel of spreading our views. And I think, and I, in my experience, I know this because I've been working with other private companies for other kind of like development of services. And the way that private companies are using social media to source data and understand what users are doing, what are their needs, uh, what are their pains, it's amazing. And I don't know if we're using this uh, in the context on progressive politics. So how we could use social media as a space where we could actually learn uh, beyond our usual uh, suspects. And I think that could uh, strengthen a lot uh, any political agenda. Hello. Hello. Okay. Um, thank you, Nico. So I actually have a, a follow-up question because um, okay. as, as you two were, think, were talking about this, you know, I was thinking of you know another challenge and this is actually particularly a question for Cynthia because I was thinking, you know, one of the potential challenges of social media is that um, maybe it gives you a sense that you've done more than you actually have.
the impression among people that they've actually done more than they really have in the real world? Is that um, is that something that we need to be thinking about? And maybe if that is the case, how talk about that experience in, in your your uh, in relation to the movement. Yeah, I, I think, um, thanks for asking the question actually, because it's quite interesting. Because most times, um, if you'd want to just rely on the conversation on social media, you could get carried away and think, oh, carried away. Hello, can you hear me? Hello? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. Nicholas can, I, think I don't think. Yeah, I think they can't hear us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's wait. Yeah. Um. Perhaps the people in YouTube. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. 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 We couldn't hear both of you. Are you back? Can you hear us? Yeah, 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 sure. And with this, we're closing because we have it's almost time. So um, if you can answer that, and then we'll say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying, I think it's an interesting question because most times we get carried away with um, what's going on on social media and, and assume we've achieved our goal or we are doing more. But the thing about social media is, um, especially when we have young people, people like to talk. We love things trending, but that doesn't necessarily translate to um, pos um, to active action on, on on offline. That would actually achieve that um, purpose you need because most times our movement needs to influence policies, especially in a democratic um, system like ours, where you need progressive laws to promote um, um, democratic principles. So you need. We, I think one of the things is to not get carried away by, by what goes on on social media and to remain key because the offline engagement is key. Social media complements what goes on offline, which is what we need. Always trends and tweet reads and retweets and who is taking lead in conversations. They are good, they're important. But um, if we get carried away by that, we wouldn't achieve that particular purpose. And that is why... When it comes to um, organizing, it's always good to have that, that team that continues on the messaging and always the call for action. Because most times we engage in conversations, but they are no, we don't have what do we want people to do. And uh, why we need young people to lead conversations, we also need them to take action, to take responsibility, responsibility, because that's what leadership is, taking responsibility. So the way we engage, the messaging we put out should always have that call to action. And I like the part um, what um, Nicholas mentioned on private companies, what they do, because I think for civil societies and activists, we need to start thinking like companies, like we take our movements like the brand. Because um, the way when, when ad companies go and advertise or push forward their brands, they want people to take action. They want to influence attitudes, behaviors, and um, what goes on in people's lives. And that is what we need to start doing social media. In the sense that for every movement, we need to think like a company. This is a brand. What do we need people to do? Let's let people take action. Let them act. And then also that um, engagement that is not one way, but two way. Most times what we do as activists is share information. We don't ask. We're not asking people, what do you, how do we make this better? How do you want, what would you like to see? What would you want to do? 
what would you as, as, a, as a young person what communities do you want us to engage you know just that um two-way communication such a way that we're not just telling what we're asking and we're letting people take ownership of the movement in the sense that um young people tweeting would think this i'm part of this movement i'm not just tweeting because i care about this issue but I actually have a role to play so that way it makes it easier for activists or movements to um, easily complement what goes on online or offline and off and, and online and that is why for not too young to run every time we share like text numbers for lawmakers to say call your lawmaker we send sample text messages use this as a text message send to your lawmaker we send we send sample letters send a letter we will help you deliver write to us would help you deliver you know just making people take action and asking have you called the lomica today what would you like to see different will you be part of the movement will you, be, you know just that ask to keep engaging less yes it's good to tell but i think we need to start thinking like companies there's something that there's a reason they still remain in business I'm and um that is yeah that is where we're we're getting to we start thinking um more like what companies do how do we get our communities more engaged? How do we make we take more action? And then to never to get carried away with all the hype on social media to keep that offline engagement as um, strong and effective as possible because that is the only way our actions would influence policies to promote um, um, the issues we're promoting or we're pushing for in democracy. I don't know if I, if you got- Wonderful. That's um, a good lesson for all of us, certainly. Um, and well, I, I'm afraid our time is up, uh, but this was really interesting. We could be here for days discussing all these things. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, thank, you. thank you for watching. And yeah, hopefully something interesting will come out of all this reflection that you want to read uh, in whatever I, I write after this. So <laughs> thank you and have a good day, everyone. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.